Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. Hi guys, how you doing? Welcome back to another show. And listen, I know it's been a long time, but I'm back and uh, hopefully going to bring you podcasts regularly uh, back again with some top, top guests. And I thought I'd reintroduce uh, the podcast with a coaching family special. So my good friend and colleague, Glenn Hicks, who's worked in academy football for many years, like myself, uh, joins me to have a chat about uh, different topics in football and just inspired about a really exciting and fantastic uh, beginning to the Premier League season so I thought we'd talk about um, developing midfielders thinking about some of those top players some of the big players have gone for big money recently so uh, I hope you enjoy it and yeah like I said lots more podcasts coming got a couple of inside the academies lined up to film as well I'm doing lots of content as well for the coaches pass and other stuff around the app so uh, it's going to be a busy busy autumn but lots more content coming so stay tuned but without further ado let's get into the show so Glenn Hicks welcome to the show Hi, right, Saul. How you been, mate? All right? Very well, mate. Very well. Are you uh, enjoying the new Premier League season? I am, mate. I'm enjoying all the football, the Women's World Cup. I haven't been able to get much of the Women's World Cup because I was away on holiday. But yes, I think we're all getting our, our fix of football. Uh, I quite enjoyed some of the championship stuff before the Premier League started as well, to be honest. I think that's an exciting league. But yeah. yes, mate, I'm looking forward to it. Like everyone enjoying it. I was just, uh, you know, I thought we had one of our, uh, like, you know, coaching family specials. I was watching the Chelsea Liverpool game yesterday. I'm watching Enzo. In midfield and thinking, you know, what a gifted, talented, technical player who could, you could probably play four, eight, or ten. Do you know what I mean? Someone who can play all those positions, real sort of proper, you know, modern day football. And it got to me the thought, really, the reality is, you know, thinking about the modern day midfielder. Do you know what I mean? What are the attributes for the midfielder, the modern day midfielder? What? How do we train those players? You know, what? What are the uh, you know, we're thinking about developing, you know, Champions League players or just players for the highest level. What are the sort of things the players need? And is it, you know, is it reality now that, you know, all players really need those those technical assets? You know, you can't just be that spoiler anymore. You need to have that quality on the ball and that, you know, that 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 vision, that ability to play really. You know, that's what all players really that, you know, you can play the four, the six, you want to call it four, the six, the eight or the ten. What do you, what do you reckon? What's your thoughts? <laughs> it's interesting, mate, because I think I think these things as as football goes in their cycles, like when four four two is trendy, back three four three three. I think a lot of these things go in cycles. So I think back when I started coaching in ninety nine two thousand, that kind of time, and when we was probably teenagers. I, I think we grew up in a generation where there was lots of so called number eights, what we call a number eight, like that that all action hero and midfielders, like you said, them players there that that could do a bit of everything. And, and honestly, like top players, whether it's Vieira, Keane, Gerard, Lampard, Scott, all these players. But then in Europe as well, I think we was lucky to watch the likes of Zidane, who as much as he's an artist, he could do everything with the ball. He could do everything with the demands of the game. Clarence Seedorf, Edgar Davids, Pavel Nedved springs to mind as well. was just an exceptionally gifted footballer. I think it kind of went with, with the Spain generation of like players were maybe more defined as a four or a six in Europe, they call it, and it's getting over here now, or an eight or a 10. But I think it is going in cycles, mate. I think we're seeing the emergence now with the very, very most special one, the most complete midfielder I've ever seen in England is Jude Bellingham. And even what he's doing now at 20 years old, when you think that England midfielders are like Bobby Charlton, Glenn Hoddle, you know, all the England midfielders, none of the top, top England midfielders made their debut for England until there was 20, 21, 22. So I think the biggest thing about the emergence of the likes of Enzo, Saul, 
and the lads I say don't know is it's more of how young they are, how complete they are at such a young age. And I think it is coming around in a cycle because I think when you look at some of these midfielders coming through, it's coming back, back round to that cycle of like Roy Keane and Graham Sooners have been big on. Well, you're supposed to be able to tackle. You're supposed to be able to head and run and pass and score and stop goals. So, yeah, I find it fascinating, mate. But I think there is an emergence of these more complete, rounded midfielders at the minute. I think that emergence of those like young players is because obviously there's a dearth, there's a, there's a, you know, there's not enough, there hasn't been enough top quality technical players. I mean, if you think about English football particularly, you know, look back into the English team, you know, 10, 15 years ago when, you know, where are those technical, you know, ball player midfielders? Do you know what I mean? Well, we had them really. That's, you know, we did have some good midfielders, but you look at like, you know, for example, single single players out, but you know, the generation you have, like maybe a Fabian Delph in there, maybe who's now more, you know, notorious for being a breaking up play and being industrious where now, you know, all players really have to have the, physical qualities, you know, like the able to break up play, but also play forward, you know, under pressure and stand the ball under pressure and that sort of thing. I mean, that's where really, particularly nothing in England where, where this generation has been a change, isn't it? I suppose as well with the, with the, um, you know, the, the the prevalence now playing out from the back, you know what I mean? So players being able to have to get on the ball and play through. Same as central defenders as well, really. The same as even goalies, you know I mean? You have to be, you have to have those good qualities on the ball. The game's changed so much. It's gone forward so much that, you know, top quality teams want to uh, dominate possession, particularly in the midfield, middle of the park. You know, so you need players who have those technical qualities, those technical assets who can, you know, be able to do that and and dominate, right? Yes, yeah, and it's really interesting when you look at what coaches have done with some individual players. Like, I think the whole England, um, is it the 20s or 20, 21s with, um, what's his name? Who's the Lee coach? Ka- Lee Carsley. Lee Carsley, yeah. Lee Carsley, yeah. I think he's doing a wonderful job. And what he's done with Angel Gomez in central midfield, and I know Manchester United have played him there as well, so you know he's not going to take all the credit, and he actually said that himself. Yeah. But the way that Angel Gomez has gone from when he won the World Cup and he was a young player, he was this flair, kind of tricky winger, little diminutive player, but you know he was in the centre of midfield pulling the strings, and it's nice to see that as well. And, you know, Yves Bassoum was an interesting one watching his first game yesterday at Brighton. He was an all-action number eight, could do a bit of everything, could play four or eight, and he looks like, again, that complete midfielder. Possibly last year, he lost his way a bit in a more pragmatic approach under Conte, and it probably didn't bring out the best in him. When you look at him yesterday with his performance under under Ange Postacoglu, and he's bringing out something different in him again. So I think a lot of the times, so all the environment and the approach from the coach is really, really key to what they squeeze out of the players. And you look at Declan Rice, Enzo, um, and Saicedo, you've got three midfielders there that have just all been bought for like 100, 100 plus million pounds. And I think teams know the value of that player as well. So I think every team in the Premier League is crying out for that player at the minute as well, that dominant box-to-box kind of all-around midfielder. Yeah, you made a couple of good points there. I mean, you talk about Lee Carsey and that Angel Gomez. I thought that was real, like a cultural change, a shift. Looking back even to his previous, the predecessor, Aidy Boothroyd, you can never imagine him really playing Angel Gomez, you know, as a four or a six. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Any really English team, you know, if you think about any academy now, <clears throat> excuse me, in recruitment process, they're thinking about, oh, you know, is he big enough to play in the midfield? He's got the physical assets. Where reality is that, you know, you're technically good enough, quick enough with the ball, quick enough in your brain. Do you know what I mean? You can play in around the pitch, like moderates, that sort of thing. So I think that's a really big, important cultural mm. shift that shows, the, you know, the foresight of Lee Carsley and what's going on at the FA that's real top. But yeah, I agree with you in terms of like, you mentioned those big players, those 100 million pound players, those, you know, dominating Central Park and Rice is another one, isn't he? Someone who can play as a mm. four, can play as an eight, you know, has those qualities, can play that, you know, he's so good on the ball. So the question is then, you know, thinking about our training programme, you know, our young players, you know, right, seven or eights, our nines or tens, elevens, how are we training these players? You know, I mean, I was coming back down and you know, I was talking to, 
player the other day, you know, Sims, you know, in terms of 1v1 domination, you've got to be able to obviously, you know, play forward, you know, can you travel forward with the ball and obviously can you break lines maybe with, you know, by running forward as well. So they're all those assets really. And I, may, I was working with, remember when I was at Arsenal when I did that, when I was working with the uh, 18s and 23s, I worked with one player there who's played like centre mid and I was setting up a technical practice with the forward players and um, just like a shooting and finishing practice where everyone, everyone's like working, you know, in their, in their position. I said to him, I want you to drive forward with the ball. So he goes, no, I don't do that. And my thing is that I pass the ball. I said, well, why not? Do you know what I mean? And I mm. thought like, why are you limiting yourself there, you know, you're, if you're playing a four and a six and you can't break lines with the ball, and I'm not talking about going on a mazy, you know, 25 yard run, but simple yeah, like yeah. breaking the first line with the ball, you don't want to do that. I think you have massive limitations. And I say that all players as well, you know, I'm lucky to work individually with like a lot of, you know, these top players. I say, if you, if you haven't got one of these key attributes, why are you not mm. working on it? Do you know what I mean? Why are you not working on these key skills to say, you know, can, okay, I'm great at breaking a play. I can spread it about, but you know, when the ball on my feet, I struggled to to really break that line. I remember as well when I was working at Tottenham, Ricardo Moniz used to always say when he was when at time he was working with Michael Carrick, and I remember him saying actually, you know, he's, he's been talking to Michael Carrick about you know if he wants to play for England and you know really kick on, he's got to be better at getting closer to the penalty box with the ball and breaking lines and doing that. And this mm. is this is just whether you're. I suppose that's you're talking. We're talking about different conversation here. We're talking about players at the top end, but still, you know, having such a big scope to improve their game and develop things, and you know, become better players and add those key assets to the game. But you know, I suppose to keep you know reverting back to my original point, you know, thinking about you know, then thinking about our young players, our technical players, what are sort of things we're doing, what sort of practice design we're trying to give all these players, all these these qualities, like you know, your Jude Bellingham that can go and play a four, eight, or ten. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that whole break in the line, because you know, it's like when you win the 1v1 battle in midfield and you break that line, you're, you've got an extreme advantage because when you've got an overload in the middle of the pitch or in central areas, it opens up everything. It really does. Because then when you commit one of the defenders to jump, you've just got a massive advantage. So, and again, how, how you do it, there's different ways of doing it. And I think that's where we've got to be skillful to coach as well, Saul, because if you look at Thiago traditionally, I mean, he's lost his way a little bit at Liverpool through injuries and whatever else. But, you know, his way of dominating 1v1 and breaking that first line would be actually... To, to, to go and receive the ball with his back to the player and allow that. It's almost like I call it setting the attacking trap. So he allows the player to jump on his back because we all know that that's a condition trigger for defenders. You know, when he's close, go jump on him, go press the ball. And he would wait for it and he'd spin. He'd break it that way. But when you think about the ones I was talking about before, Davids, I think of all them explosive players from the 90s, early 2000s, where Vieira, he would just push the ball past you and run you over. Roy Keane even had a lovely turn of pace. When the line opened up, a gap opened up, Roy Keane would burst through it and break a line. Then maybe play a simple pass into a Yorker or Sharon, but he'd break the line. David Seedorf, all of them guys were quite explosive. And, and you know, Busquets does it in different ways. You know, he might do it with a clever first touch and more manipulation of the ball. But I think the key concept is, like you said, when you asked that kid, well, why don't you do it? You've got to have a way to break the line. It can't just be passing the ball. I think, especially the higher up you want to go, I think Jude Bellingham can run people over. He can beat them with skill. And I think that's the key thing as well, just being brave enough, because it's that whole risk-reward paradox, isn't it? You know, they say, well, well, if you lose the ball there, you lose the ball, they're at our goal. Yeah, but but if you break that line, within two or three passes, two or three strides, you're at their goal. So I think we've got to keep steering towards that positive outcome as coaches just in general terms so and really encouraging it from our players. Yeah, I mean, you know, you talk about Thiago, innit? I mean, his, like, ability to break lines. He, like I say, sucks players in the back of him. And the same as you are talking about, Enzo can spin, break the line with his first touch, getting beyond, but also he can drive with the ball. He's not quickly, you know, a rapid, quick player. 
he understands how to draw pressure, little little movement, nice little step over to create space. And even that simple break in the line doesn't mean he's going to get beyond it massively. It gives him space to get the pass off. Do you know what I mean? He's sucking pressure and breaking it and then maybe sucking someone in. So then going back to it, you know, you think about those assets, you know, as a, you know, as, as a four, do you know what I mean? For example, you know, you've got those, those ones as a four, what, what do we need the players to have? And it's all, you know, I always told those players about, right, you've got to be able to get on the ball when you get on the ball and stay on the ball and be able to break pressure and try and play forward. And they like, you know, De Jong's one of my favorite players at Barcelona, the way he can, like say, receive ball pressure at the back and literally just roll out. And, you know, we used to call it rock and roll, you know what I mean? The rodeo at Tottenham having that ability there to get on the ball, stay on the ball and, you know, shake players off and then be able to turn. I think it's you know I mean, that's that's the limitations many players have. They always want to play the the way they're facing, and that's the old people. You know, a lot of coaches will say as well, just play yeah. the way you're facing. But the reality is going to give you such limitations. You know, going to cap your ceiling. You know, if you can't, you know, break pressure and play. You know, get your first touch and get beyond someone, or like say turn, shake someone off with those those rodeo type movements. So that's a real limitation for players. So that's I think is a real important part of the development process, think about, right, okay, what well, these are the assets we want. We want players to be able to receive the ball, maybe under pressure with a back to pressure, you know, being able to break it either with a first touch or be able to shake pressure on, quick turn, turn, turn. And then obviously then that comes into our, our technical program, right? And it goes back to our mm. ball mastery program. Like I say the ball mastery is always linked to 1v1, you know, and then the 1v1, there's danger, and that's going to be, that's what it's going to look like. You know, can I receive it? You know, before it's coming, can little fake movements to receive to unbalance and exploit and get beyond or then like shake. And then again, that's, not one of the many reasons why we do so much of the ball mastery and the movement work with the skill combination, that sort of thing to help players develop the movements and the body for the modern game. Most a lot of people don't, you know, they don't really, you know, they don't really appreciate, you know I mean? They maybe think it's, you know, they're just doing this, they're doing loads of step or steps, Ronaldo's, whatever. It's about supporting players with that technique, but also the body, right? The body has to shake mm. players off and do that. Cause if you can't do it, you know, it's going to be difficult. If you get to like 14, 15, 16, and you're very stiff, you haven't got those movements, you have flexibility in your hips and be able to step and have the ability and the, the agility on both sides to turn. It's going to be very difficult to, to develop that. Not impossible. It's very difficult. Whereas if you, Coaching the youngest players, seven, eights, nines, tend to do that, have those ability to, like we say, rock and roll and shake and, you know, shake players off and turn with both sides and importantly use both feet and shield with both feet and be able to turn the safe side on both sides and protect the ball and roll out. Wow. I mean, you listen, you're talking about, you know, the uh, potential is un- is like limitless really in terms of what mm. they can do. And I think that's really, that's, you know, one of the things to think about why they were doing those things, you know, in terms of that position specific stuff. Really important and I think for. it's... I think it's always the game changing. I really think it always has been. So I keep when I think of midfields, I keep reverting back to that nineties generation, that Ajax team in the mid nineties, where you had the likes of Seedorf, David, and you had a lot of players there, and and even the likes of I know they're not midfielders, but they had their attributes. Too. Because of that whole pan of one v one stuff, you know, took took off. They all had skill as well. You know, Seedorf was an incredibly mm. powerful guy, but he could play three v three in the cages or one v one, and he'd have a go with anyone, like with Mark Overmars or whoever. Do you know what I mean? Because they had we should we should still be obsessed with technique, two-footedness, two-sidedness, the ability to just beat a player with the first touch, the ability to beat a player with disguise, you know, all the stuff that you mm. just said. I think we've got to keep developing their tools. Whatever they end up being anyway, because it's fascinating to hear um a friend of ours, Ryan, uh, told me that the guy at Berman said that the number 22, and I didn't know this until recently, a little while ago, I just never looked into it. That Jude Bellingham had the number 22 shirt now, everyone knows because it was a four, eight, and a ten. And they said they wanted to develop the complete midfielder. And when you look at the guy, six foot two, like big, big, big guy, ticks all the boxes physically, ticks all the boxes technically. There's, there's nothing he can't do in them positions. If he wanted to drop into a four, 
or a six. He could be the master of that, like Busquets. If he wanted to be an, an eight, he can do it. He can actually go at the top end of the box. And some of those goals he scored last year or the last few years for Dortmund with intricate feet and fantastic 1v1, 1v2, dinking the keeper. Mm. He's got the finesse of a 10, but he's got the destructive power and sheer brute dominance of an eight, like that box-to-box power. But he's got the, the controlling kind of Andrea Perlos about him as well. And I think, I know we're talking about Jude Bellingham, and I'm not saying we're going to create Jude Bellingham's, but something went on there at Birmingham where they've allowed such an open mind and such an open scope. There's no limits. There's no there's no lid on the box. There's no, they're not even putting him in a box. They're saying, listen, we think you've got all the attributes. Just see how much we can get out of you. And eventually, players will find their own space anyway if they're lacking a bit of speed or if they've got tons of creativity or not as much creativity and all these other individual traits. I think they'll end up finding their place anyway, but there's got to be some generic things like allowing people to experiment around the pitch, coach towards failure don't run away from it so what i mean is the first time if you're saying go on drop down go and get the ball off your center halves the first time little joey has a a, a negative touch or it's perceived as negative but he loses the ball you can't turn your back on that you know that's when we need courage as coaches and we need to encourage the courage in our kids because the courage is not having fear kids are full of fear when they play football because they want to please everyone but to help them face that head on i think that's one of the biggest hurdles as well, having the courage as coaches to, regardless of the so-called mistakes, you know, to kind of that, that sticking at it through the youth ages and stumbling through the mistakes. Because I'm sure if they showed the clips of when it went wrong for Drew Bellingham, oh, I think there would be a lot, there would be hours and hours and hours of video footage of him costing these team games and tripping on the ball and exploring experiments. Do, do, do you know what I mean? So I think there's some real generic things we've yeah. got to make sure in place to this- develop these players. I think also it's a uh, it's a question of nature and nurture as well. I mean, and that's uh, that's my that's my you know one of my big concerns or worries about you know I think the system is set up where some players naturally evolve and develop these assets and they think oh wow naturally gifted about that and some players don't and the players who don't are actually well there you go that's tough luck do you know what I mean? Whereas actually mm. reality is we need to support all players to have these assets, particularly in those positions, but in any positions really. You know, we talk about Spurs really like we develop all players as midfielders, attacking midfielders. Do you know what I mean? Then they go in as a strike or they go as a fullback, but everyone has those midfield qualities. They're really good on the ball. They can turn, they can cap out, they can drive, they can break lines with the ball, without ball, they can spray it forward. And then maybe they play centre-back or they play right-back or they play them playing centre-mid. But you'd, all the players really at the highest level in the modern game need those midfielder assets to be technically really good on the ball under pressure, but to receive it and break the lines, you know, and then they go and play in those other areas. Then I feel I feel there's a big thing now, owners, about you know players going to do it. They support, they're encouraged. Encouraged is not enough. Do you know what I mean? It's not enough. Mm. You know we've got to take yeah. control and power. So, okay, like you know Romeo says, Romeo Jozak, uh, you know ex Dynamo Zagreb head of Croatian said, he said the same thing. He goes, you know, you have these programs for that reason. You know your outliers are going to be your outliers, and I think they will come through, develop your system. You do Benny most even help. by Burnham got great great program, right? You know some of the guys have been on the show. Lots of great technical work, great environment, work really hard. You know, these 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 outliers are going to come through, right? But the programs there as well for mm-hmm. the players who can't that need the extra help. So I can say, like, you know, okay, this guy maybe he's got the asset, maybe he's got the potential. He's you no, know, he's really good, powerful runner, stuff like that. But maybe not too good on the ball. Well, let's develop his good on the ball. Let's develop his 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 quality so he can turn and speed and do that. So all your players have that, and that's what I can mm-hmm. get my head around is that you know why are we we're not being more aggressive and proactive and saying, no, hang on, you know, our players in the system at eight, why are they not two-footed or proficient on both feet and they come out of this foundation phase? Yeah, no excuse, no excuse. Totally they can both, they can play off both sides. They can turn on both sides. I remember watching, like, I went to the Chelsea um, Southampton game last year, so I was watching Nonny play. And then I remember watching his play and I watched Lavia and I'd never seen him before. And I thought, wow, who's this kid? 
and his top he was capping, he was cutting out outside cuts and it really like, wow, really, really stood out to me. But those you, you can look right at the, the game at the highest level, right? And you can see, right, what are the assets all these top players have. You look at that, they know they can break pressure, they can cut safe side, they can move forward, protect the ball under pressure, you know, at ease and say, right, okay, then let's support our players. And some players will have it, some players don't, but why don't we say, right, this is what we need all our midfielders to have? So you say, reverting back to our boy Arsenal, say, yeah, he likes, he's comfortable on the ball. Just, well, no, let's make him uncomfortable on the ball. Do you know what I mean? Let's get yeah. him to drive forward the ball, let him to break lines. I want you to break lines without the ball, make loads of forward runs, play the 10. Do you know what I mean? That sort of thing. So I think that's, mm. I think we've got to be a bit more braver and I think a bit more interventionist, if you like. Do you know what I mean? While su- still supporting mm. players to develop and learn to and evolve naturally like players do. But saying, okay, right, look at that. He's like a 10 year old. Okay, I'm not really happy in terms of his weak side movement. His life, he's took at how he turns on his left side. It's not strong and then really focus on that do you know what I mean like you say like right, right really focusing on technical proficiency to really hone in and say right we want all our players to have that I think we can just do that better as a culture I think you know and I'm talking I'm seeing work in academies and stuff where players will come to me and say like we're doing very little of this work I mean we need to support players and give those you know game environments but if you're not giving them that technical work then you just watch saying okay well you know go here yeah, good luck son you know hope you develop that you know if you don't then that's it mate isn't it yeah definitely and and there's, there's a bit of a brain thing here as well. So when you think about the best midfielders, like let's say pick up Gerard, like he's the most stereotypical number eight, I think he's probably the most picked. If you actually picked someone like Steven Gerrard up, like I was saying about Seedle, you know, they're universal players as well. You could put Steven Gerrard at centre-back and he would be outstanding at Premier League level. I think he's got such pace and power that he could play right back. He could play. You're looking at someone like Steven Gerrard and genuinely he could play any football uh, position on the football pitch. I actually look at someone like James Milner who gets a lot of bad, bad press and all this boring stuff and maybe he's not trendy. But if you look at James Milner, Milner with the attributes he's got, all right, he ain't got a little bit of extras like Gerrard and maybe he's lacking a little bit more of some of the guile. But for me, he's got number eight attributes. Like mm. I don't think there's a position he hasn't played in the Premier League. Well, remember he he's started got, off as a wide player, wasn't he? He was a winger. Yeah, he was right. Yeah, you know what I mean, so he has got, got the technique. Quick, yeah, yeah, exactly. He was quick, direct, got crosses in. But I remember, I think it was Manuel Pellegrini paid him the massive, big, most biggest credit. He said, you know, this guy played in the season they won the league. Almost every position for him. I think he played in three or four different systems. He played right back, right wing, um, number ten. I think the only couple of positions he didn't play. He didn't play centre back. Didn't play striker. So you're talking about a player that's gone in at left back and done a shift, and then he done it for Liverpool as well. And people underestimate that quality about Milner. Still the fittest player ever when he left Liverpool at top of all the fitness tests, which is an exceptional number eight quality. Outstanding leader. So you've got the personality and character stuff that it takes to step in the middle of the pitch, like a lot of captains are, like the Vieira's, the Kings. And he just ticks so many boxes for a so-called number eight. That's when you then get into the, the, the individual stuff. And has he got the extra guile and creativity of a Jude Bellingham? And is he going to get maybe 10, 12 goals a season as that midfielder? Probably not. But wow, I'd have a James. I think every team in the world needs a James Milner or players like that. Do, do, do you know what I mean? So it's mm. not just about the very best players. It's about developing the attributes. And like you say, they might end up being the most outstanding right back and having a career at right back. But they'd have mid, having the midfield attributes will help them out much better at any level than not having the midfield attributes, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly. I mean, that's the point, isn't it? Like I said earlier, you know, you want to develop all your players. They have those technical midfielder attributes. So like, you know, you know, if you're a centre-back and you're not very good on the ball and you can't bring into midfield and you can't, you know, look at the modern day centre-back. 
Do you know what I mean? You know, you, you're not going to head it and smash it and kick people. Do you know what I mean? Reality, the highest level, you'll be able to slip in and play, you know, into that midfield zone, isn't you? But I mean, think about the, you're talking about the eighth then there, you know, think about the eighth then, those qualities, they like say that robustness and you know, that box to box, this physical nature. But if you look at it now, it's interesting, is it? Because the game's changed so much. You look at Man City, you know, they're, now people say they play with two eights, so they think they play with two tens, you know, like, with Silver mm. and De Bruyne, do you know what I mean? Who are two tens technical players, but they're just you know they work the socks off the way the team's structured. Obviously, they, you know, work off the ball there, but they're playing really you know with two players who are excellent, you know, in terms of you know receiving the ball under pressure in those little pockets, getting it turning, playing forward, dribbling forward with the ball. I mean, they're two of the best players in the world for me. So the, the nature of the, the midfield has changed, isn't it? You know, in terms of that mm. that eight and ten role, you need almost to have the ability, like I say, to, to run box to box and have that ability to defend, understand it, but also like the technical qualities of a 10, especially when you're on the ball and be able to play forward and break lines, whether you're with the ball, you're making those forward runs. Yeah, definitely. But it's interesting with coaches like Arteta. You know, one of the most fascinating things, there's been some fantastic commentary from top, top players that have gone for £100 million and top coaches like the Zerbi recently. When you think about the coaches like Guardiola and that, that that clip of him is doing the trends at the minute where he's saying, Look, I give you permission to make mistakes. And he's actually being aggressive. Like you said, he's he's being demanding of his players saying, no, no, no. He said, he's more or less saying, I give you permission to make mistakes, but I don't allow you to not want the ball and all the stuff we're talking about. And then you hear the Zabi come out the other day and he says, when my players make a mistake, when it's something that I've asked them to do, I move towards them more. I hug them more. I praise them more. Like, I have their back more. And then I heard Declan Rice, when he came out the other day, after one day of working with Arteta, and when he says, wow, you think you know football, and then I've spent one day with this guy and like I'm thinking in a completely different way. So I think it's going to be fascinating. Yes, he's a £100 million player, but I look at it and I think, you look at what Xhaka done last year or what Arteta got out of Xhaka mm. in terms of becoming this more adventurous because his career was nearly done a couple of years ago in terms of being at Arsenal. Yeah. And I think it's fascinating. what You talk about interventions. The interventions from Arteta there with Xhaka, I thought it was fascinating. I would have loved to have been able to hear what went on and see what went on. Um but to get him scoring goals, Harry, did he look like just a more all-rounded technical player? He was adventurous. He was chipping in with eight to ten goals. I just think he looked like a different player. I mm. think it's going to be fascinating the next 18, 24 months to see what levels Arteta gets rice to go to because we can clearly see there's lots more to come and, you know, that's what they're paid for. So, again, that balance of the intervention and the coaching and the actual, you know, I, I think there's a lot of development of the brains there and I, and I, and I think the best, the most complete midfielders and the most intelligent, like, like Clarence Seedorf could play with any team in the world, and he did. He won three Champions Leagues with different teams. He could play any position on the football pitch. And I think you could pick him up and drop him in any era of football. Because I know we say this modern day, and we all do it. You just said it yourself. Or, but the, the very best ones, you could drop him in any era, couldn't you? You could put oh, yeah. Clarence Seedorf in the 1930s, and he'd figure it out on the farm of a pitch. Or you could put him in 20 years' time. And I think the stuff that he was doing will still be really um, just as relevant them as well, you know well, like, I mean? well, well, you summed up, didn't he? He was a complete midfielder. He could do everything. He was then there. Was you know he could play four, eight, or ten. Do you know what I mean? He was so good. Yeah. You know, world class players, world class players, really. And they could, like you said, he can play anywhere on the pitch. Just thinking about that, then. I mean, I mean, you made the point there. You know, we, obviously, I'm you know obsessed with technique and technical assets. But I mean, you talked about that the leadership qualities. I suppose the psychological. You know, we talked about the physical issues a bit, but I mean, you know, you're gonna. But what about like the those the psychological elements and like you talk about leaders and stuff like that. I mean. How important is that, and how how you're trying to create that and implement that in your in your program where you're working players individually or with the group? I mean, what does that look like? Uh, I think I think the first the first few words that come to mind when I think of leadership with anyone so is selflessness and like putting the team first. And I, I, I listen, I'm a bit biased. I grew up a United fan, and I'm a huge Roy Keane. Like Roy Keane's a hero of mine in terms of. 
and it, there was a little moment, wasn't there? You know, what if you wanted to see what the epitome of a captain is, you know, just watch when Roy King gets a yellow card against Juventus and they're away in Turin. And, and by the way, against one of the best Juventus teams of the last 20 or 30 years, they're 2-0 down. Roy King and Paul Scholes get yellow carded. They both know they're out of the semi-final. Roy King does no more than pulls the captain armband up a little bit higher. Like, I know it's a cliche, but put, roll your socks up, sleeves up. And then who scores the first goal from the header? Roy King. Cross comes in. King flicks it in the goal. Come on, let's go. Is is he a little bit bitter about not being in the Champions League final? Yeah, I think he's got that issue. I probably didn't deserve it. I didn't play in the final. But regardless to him being sacrificed, he didn't cry. And this is not a disrespect to Paul Gascoigne, by the way. But like when Gaza had a breakdown, it was like, no, no, no. This is going to get the best out of me. I'm going to step up. And I think a lot of that, a lot of that is natural. But I really do think it can be developed. Mm. So, and I think we need to keep posing them challenges to kids and questioning them. And a lot of it comes down to like like selfishness or selflessness and are you doing this for the team? Because yes, we want individuals, but it always has to be brought back to the team. And okay, Joe, you've got to go right back. Well, I don't want it. Yeah, but listen, we've got lots of injuries. It's your turn to go. We need you to help us out. Or goalie gets injured. No one wants to put a pair of gloves on, really. Or not mm. a lot of people. Do you know what I mean? And I, I think there are some character traits there that we. I think we should be modelling on the players. Modelling yeah, I mean, on Messi. Modelling but... on Roy Keane. Do you know what I mean? That's the, yeah, but this, it's like nature and nurture. I mean, you look two examples there, Messi and... You know, Roy Keane, two very different sort of leaders, isn't they? You know, Messi does it with uh, with what, he, what how he plays, and Roy Keane, you know, just the you know ultimate, you know, general in midfield, mm. if you like. But then that's the question, isn't it? Like you know, like I say, nature and nurture. How 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 much of this can we develop? Do you know what I mean? I suppose look at like like say they look at the captains, they look a lot different. Do you know what I mean? Everyone. I remember my, my first one of my first sessions I saw at Tottenham in the academy many years ago, and Ricardo was doing a session with these boys, and I remember it was twelves, thirteens, whatever. But all I can first I remember was like how much these boys spoke. Come on, yeah, well done, good effort. Like we were doing technical session or giving like gene each other up, talking to each other, everyone and thinking that was the culture. I was like, wow, this is a mental. I've never seen kids like this. Do you know what I mean? It's obviously a thing, isn't it? So it's obviously a cultural thing. You've got to get into players. They look, come on, we got to talk. I remember I was actually, you know, when I when I was working in, in Asia, so first one of the first thing I've noticed was like how quiet the games and the sessions were. Kids just didn't talk you know, personality-wise, culturally. Do you know what I mean? And where maybe that yeah. wasn't something you had, and you really had to try and coax it out and demand, you know I mean? It's still pretty, you know, it really, was really, really challenging because as a culture, they just didn't have that naturally. Do you know what I mean? It's really interesting. Mm. So it's always the lesson is that, you know, it's like say, so we're having those, constantly having those messages, those challenges to try and develop those assets. So you know, we're talking, the players are talking, you know, and then I suppose in putting them in the conditions, you know, squeezing them a bit and they're putting them in challenging positions where they, you know, they're fading and then seeing how they're responding and trying to build up resilience, you know, going to tournaments, you know, where you know you're going to get, turned over and you know hiding because you didn't maybe take the strongest team and challenging players that way yeah absolutely and, and again i think we've got to almost be willing to move them towards discomfort and the stuff where they go no no i don't because let's be honest not you know all of us wanted to step on a stage and speak in front of people and sometimes it can be daunting and sometimes it can actually be really regressive as well because if you put a kid and they clam up like they might go into their shell even more so that's that's obviously just about knowing mm. the players but it is a skill that i think you know, it's interesting you said that. About, I, I actually think some of our English sessions, you know, if you go, you look, it's a lot quieter as well. So, because I think there's less talking. Yeah. I think kids are yeah. practicing talking less. Their communication yeah. is through a phone, head down, texting. Do you know what I mean? And so, I actually think there's a skill. They're, they're doing it much less anyway. So, to, even nowadays, if you get one or two lads that show a bit of leadership, and it ain't just about being a big mouth and shouting. It's not about the loudest one, but it's just having an opinion sometimes. Mm. And so, even yeah. when you ask questions, say, has anyone got an opinion? It's so refreshing when all the kids throw opinions at you and you almost go, okay, one at a time. Because sometimes 
there's this little bit of fear of, oh, am I going to say the right thing? Don't worry about the right thing. Say what you believe in. Let's say mm. what you believe in and we can work from there. Do you know what I mean? Give your opinion. And again, that I think that comes from us cultivating and really developing that environment. And it's, I find it a personally a, a, a quite a, quite a big challenge because I think it's something that's changed socially since the phones the last 10, 15 years. Do you know what it's like? You know, all of us living our phones a bit too much, but especially young children that have, you know, had a phone since they were 11, 12. By the time they get to 14, 15, there ain't. And even conversations in a change room stall. It's interesting. Sometimes you're going to change rooms and they're on their phones. It's like, fellas, you can talk to each other, you know, put your phones down. And if you want to know the one thing you've all got in the common in the room is football. Let's just talk football if you want to talk and, you know, talk about the game ahead of you. But yeah, I think, I think that's a big challenge. I know you said about in Asia, but I think it's quite a big challenge for all of mm. us really with young kids. And it's so refreshing when you see someone that's very self-assured and got good self-efficacy and can express their self verbally mm. as well, like confidently. Do you know what I mean? That's the same thing. That's a player. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, think about wrapping up now, summarising, I'd say, like, what would be the main takeaways of thinking about coaching? You're talking about co young coaches who you know, want to think about that, thinking about along the line or young academy coaches or anyone who thinks, right, I want to develop players with those qualities to play four, eight, ten, you know, those players who can play all those positions. What, what would you think of the main sort of messages you'd give to to coaches in that respect? Um don't be in a rush to pigeonhole players and put players in boxes. So like we said about limitations, don't set ceilings, don't ring fence things, you know, allow talent to flourish and be brave enough to allow it to experiment. Even if it's a dreadful experiment and it goes all wrong and you persist, persist, and you know, you know what, maybe that's a bit too much. I think you've got to, you've got to have that environment where they're allowed to actually explore. Um, and look at them i know this whole word holistic or whatever but you have to really look at the player holistically what do they bring physically okay can we squeeze a bit more out like you said what do they bring personality wise can we oh this is showing signs of the leadership go on go with that let's stoke that up a bit you know practically have they got a left and a right foot wow yeah do you know what this kid's showing willing to get his left foot so let's stick at that for six months and then we'll have a two-footed midfielder so just keep looking at them physically psychologically on a personal level and then on the whole technical tactical and how much can you squeeze out of them? Like stop setting players' limits. Because I think when we're talking about the most complete rounded um, central midfielders, a lot of them don't have many limits, you know, they, and they don't seem to set themselves limits either as well. And like you said, mate, leadership is always a good one. I think there's many a great number eights and midfielders in the heart of the team that, that have fantastic leadership quality. So let them share the armband, have a thing in your team where they all get mm. go with the armband and let them know that actually the armband is just a symbol. It's about leadership and you can all show, show leadership really lead yourselves. So yeah. And yeah, number I, one, so as we always say, technique, 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 mate, you yeah. still got to be up regardless of what mm. you've got to be obsessed with making technically more proficient players. Yeah, and I, th I think that's the main one for me is thinking, no, you know, all that, you know, the foundation phase, your seven, eights, nines, tens, you, you're training them all as a midfielder. They're all centre midfielders. All those have that success. You train all those, you know, see the ball under pressure. Can I play forward? Can I run forward with that? Can I drive forward with the ball? Make sure all players are challenged to have those technical assets. Like I say, don't pigeonhole players, give them the opportunity. And then when they do progress, when you get in those, you know, positions, 13s, 14s, and players like the four, the six, you know, they've, you know, if they have those limitations and challenge them to say, right, no, actually develop those other ones. Can you run beyond a bit more? Can you actually drive with the ball? Can you break a line with the ball at your feet and support them in developing those technical assets? I think for me, it's a big thing. I think too many times, you know, we talk about players' strength-based program, which is good, and you should do that, but they're not, suggest, you know, you're not saying actually, you know, we're not going to work on those and try and develop these other things as well, if you know what I mean. That's really key thing. But like I said, as we know, 
you know, if you do all that work at seven, eight, nines in the foundation phase and do all that quality technical work, you know, it becomes so easy. Do you know what I mean? Players can do all those things. If they're really good with the ball, they can turn, they have that ability to move and turn and agile and speed, that dynamic ball mastery, then, you know, breaking lines with the ball is so easy when they get older. Definitely, mate. Definitely. Listen, Glenn, thanks very much, mate. Thanks for tuning in to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Soccer Player Development Podcast. MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's dynamic ball mastery program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.